Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Welcome to another episode of History for Weirdos. Awesome. And as you know, I'm Andrew and you're Stephanie. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back with another wonderfully weird episode for you. And it's a really cool one, actually. We're both going to be telling a story this time. Yeah, this ended up being an impromptu special episode. Kind of, yeah. Because you'll hear two stories this week. Two stories about dogs the theme today is dogs yes oh yeah we're really excited yeah these are historical dogs and they're awesome and before we jump into the actual story Mm -hmm. we have a pretty important announcement for you guys do you want to do the honors no go ahead okay so as of right now you're listening to this you will be able to have full access to our videos through our patreon Yes, it, our Patreon is finally live. You can, you can find it at www.patreon.com slash history for weirdos. The link, it will also be in the show notes. Mm-hmm. So you can go there and you'll be able to see video, like I said, as well as our pretty much an, almost our entire catalog of back episodes or back catalog of episodes without the advertisements. Yeah. So you'll be able to re-listen to all of it, no ads. Because if you're like me, you hate ads. So (laughs) you have an irrational hatred towards them, which is ironic because that's a way that we can fund this podcast. Exactly. So a complex relationship, one might say. Very complex, Mm -hmm. I'd say. But yeah, we're really excited. We know some folks have been so awesome and supportive commenting and DMing and emailing us asking when they can see the full-length videos of our episodes. And that is now possible through Patreon. So we're really excited. There's other offerings and other goodies like uh, joining us on lives. You get to vote on episode topics. So much fun stuff. You can see it all. Again, it's in the show notes. Check it out and join us on Patreon because we really are looking forward to just connecting with each other more on there. I think it's a better platform for actually like talking and communicating right exactly it's a little hard to do that on instagram and also something to note if you're one of the first 25 people to sign up for either the middle tier or the the third tier Mm -hmm. you will get a free gift again it's the first 25 people you have to sign up so that's going to go by fast i'm pretty certain so we want to give you the gift yeah and so when it prompts you to ask for your shipping address no we will not stock you i promise um, promise. Oh, wait, I crossed my fingers. I meant to say, <laughs> Stephanie no. will stalk you. I won't. Stephanie will. I meant, what's the, is there a sign for prom? Oh, pinky promise. Pinky promise. That's yeah. what I was trying to you do. You did the crossy. That's like the opposite. The opposite. So she's going to stalk you guys. But no, in all seriousness, like make sure you just sign up. When you do sign up, put in the right shipping address because if you don't. You won't get the gift. Yeah. The other, someone else will. Yeah. So. Some rando will get your gift. No and one wants that. I don't want that. You don't want that. Stephanie may want that. She's the one who crossed her fingers. <laughs> and if you are a Patreon member, you'd be able to see the video of me 
crossing my fingers instead of doing pinky promise. And I just like did a little special sign to the camera. So there you go. Plenty of reasons to join. <laughs> so that's our very special announcement for this week. Um, as more and more features are added, we'll definitely be updating you all here as well. We're just really excited. Also, final thing about the Patreon, there is at the very top of the page and it's available to anyone, whether you sign up or not, there's a poll that mm. asks like, what type of content do you guys want the most? And the winner of that, like we'll, we'll obviously incorporate, we'll probably incorporate like most of the, the things, but if you really feel passionate about a certain one, especially make sure to vote. Mm -hmm. Again, the link is almost want to say in our bio, it's in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go ahead and vote. Anyone can do it. Yeah. Good point, babe. Good reminder. Absolutely. So without further ado, I think it's time for us to get into the episode and talk about some doggos. Yeah, some historic doggos. Here we go. <laughs> Let's do it. So I'm going to start, right? I'll go first. Okay. And I'm starting with what I thought would be a tale of one dog, but it involves many dogs. And we're going to highlight two dogs in particular. Oh, nice. It's a yeah. double whammy. So Andrew, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the 1995 cartoon film, Balto? I actually do remember that movie. I'm not even joking. That's incredible. Balto was a classic, right? Yes. My dad and I loved watching that movie. I want to hear if any weirdos watched that movie growing up, because I know there's a lot of millennial weirdos out there. Oh, yeah. I absolutely loved Balto. And guess what? It's not just a cute cartoon tale. It's based off a true story. I thought it was. Yeah. I thought it was. So that makes me really happy. And we're going to get into the this story of some really heroic dogs. Oh, heck yes. That's awesome. First, I need to give you all backstory into our setting. Okay. okay. For this tale. We are going to Nome, Alaska for this story. Oh, wow. So Nome is located on the southern peninsula of the Norton Sound of the Bering Sea. Okay, so it's really cold. Yeah. That's, that's what I got from that. That's a really good takeaway. It's really cold. It was originally home to uh, Inuit natives, um, and Alaska natives still make up about half of the population there today. Okay. The area came to Western attention in 1898 when some Nordic Americans discovered gold. Oh, yeah. On the ocean shores of Nome, which prompted the Nome Gold Rush. So at this point, there's like a gold rush. That means population increase, right? Of course. Population goes up. It goes up as high as 20,000. Oh, wow. For like, it's basically like a gold rush town then. Yes, a gold rush town. But once people go and they get the gold and aren't like the gold is there and it was easier to get than other gold rush towns because it was just washing up on the ocean but once people aren't getting as rich as quickly as they thought they would which always happens they start to leave because it's really freaking cold yeah and it doesn't seem worth it anymore so it was at 20,000 but then by 1909 it drops to 2,600 the population wow so a lot of people went there they're like okay it's get rich quick mm-hmm and, and then, then they decide, oh, wow, well, maybe it's not get rich quick, pack up and leave. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the gold rush ended, but just interestingly enough, if any weirdo ever finds themselves in Nome, Alaska, you could still gold mine there today. Can we get, do that? Just go and do it? Yeah. 
Anyone can. No, I mean, can we do that? Like oh, you, you and, and me, I. like, let's go and do that. How about in the summer? Absolutely in the summer. Yeah, I think that would be a good time. <laughs> um, so I basically gave that background to help us remember that this area is cold. It has a subarctic climate, which closely borders a tundra climate, along with freezing, very long and freezing winters and a very short and cool summer. It's cold. Yeah, no, I'm good, man. But we'll go in the summer. <laughs> we'll go in the summer. Imagine we find just like a ridiculous amount of gold. That'd be really cool. Um, Maybe then we can afford a house. Not in Los Angeles. <laughs> no, we can't. Still not in LA. <laughs> <laughs> but during the winter of 1924 into 1925, there's a man, a doctor, Dr. Curtis Welch, who's the only doctor in Nome. And he's working with a team of only four nurses. So that's the entire medical staff for the town. Wow. And they serve the folks of Nome and neighboring, um, like, smaller communities. So Dr. Curtis, Dr. Welch, excuse me, was being very informal with the doctor. That was very informal. (laughs) He realizes that the entire supply that they have of a diphtheria antitoxin has expired. Oh, no. Right in the middle of winter, right? He orders a replacement shipment immediately because it's a really important medicine to have. Unfortunately, the new supplies will not be able to arrive before winter ends because everything turns to ice and shipments can't get in. Oh, my God. That's terrible. Isn't that terrifying? That's really scary. So... In December of 1924, Welch treats a bunch of kids for sore throats and tonsillitis. And he doesn't really think anything of it. But then he gets more concerned as cases start to go up. And then, unfortunately, children do die of these sore throats. And then, unfortunately, by mid-January, so now it's 1925, Dr. Welch officially diagnosed the first case of diphtheria. It was in a three-year-old boy who passed away just two weeks later. No. I know. The following day, a seven-year-old girl with similar symptoms really scared the doctor to the point where he attempted to administer the expired antitoxin just in case it worked. Right. Like, I mean, at that point, you have what do nothing you have to, lose? to lose. Yeah. But then, unfortunately, she also succumbed to the disease just a few hours later. Okay, so it really doesn't work, this vaccine. It's not a vaccine, interestingly enough. It's no longer used to treat diphtheria. There's now like a vaccine for diphtheria. It's, I don't know, I don't understand the medical science behind it, but it's a serum. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Weird. I don't know the science behind it. Yeah, neither of us do. (laughs) But obviously they're in a really dire situation. And it quickly became obvious that Nome and the surrounding communities faced the threat of an epidemic. So despite that, they were like, despite not having resources and the fear that was going on, they're like, let's implement a quarantine. We are all familiar with quarantines now. (laughs) Because then there were over 20 confirmed cases of diphtheria and after the quarantine had been implemented, that number rose to 50. 
So mm. it was not working. No. And without antitoxin, it was expected that the surrounding region and and the population of Nome, uh, this would have totaled 10,000 people, 100% were expected to get sick. Oh my God. At this rate. So they needed that serum and they needed that serum fast. Okay. And I'm guessing this is where our heroes come into the story. Yeah, you'd be right. So that serum was a whopping 500 miles away in Anchorage, Alaska. And as I mentioned, due to the brutal winters, they couldn't traverse the ice through ship because it was just frozen icy water and planes couldn't fly. Planes are also like pretty new still at this point. Right. And they just would not have survived in no. um, a snowstorm. Yeah, well, those propeller planes, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. So the sole path through the wilderness was a 650-mile freight route called the Editrot Road. I don't know if I said that right. Um, and the only way through that trail was dog sleds. Oh, yeah. Let's go, Balto. Mm-hmm. So once this information is shared, 20 mushers, like official mushers, and 150 dogs volunteered for what would become known as the Great Race of Mercy. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's really cool, actually. Yeah. It's, it's really, really cool to think of... Obviously, I'm sure these people, they did have skin in the game. They didn't want to get sick either. But you'll see why it's so brave that they volunteer because it's it's a very perilous journey. By dog sled, normally taking this trip would take you a month. Oh, my God. So it, normally it's going to take you a month, but it's you know dead of winter. So I'm guessing it should take you even longer. It and then you have you to do longer. the return trip. Mm-hmm. So you go 600 miles Get the medicine. And then come back. So that's at least another month. Yeah. This would be re- way too slow to head off an epidemic. And thousands of people could die, essentially, in that time. So what they did was basically they formed an epic dog sled relay race that spanned the whole state. So these mushers weren't just from one area. They were mushers from across the state. Oh, wow. So from Anchorage back to Nome, they were going to do this relay. I see. Okay. So there'd be different people at different legs of the trip. Gotcha. So they're not starting in Nome. They're starting in Anchorage. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot more sense. Among them, among these mushers was a man named Leonard Sipala. He was a Norwegian Finnish American um, dog sled breeder. He had originally moved to Nome, uh, he's from Nome, or he lives there, to get rich in the gold rush. Didn't work out, but he's like, guess what I know all about? I know all about dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so he stayed. The gold rush was about the friends we made all along the way, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he stayed, and he was known for uh, breeding and training dogs, um, Siberian Huskies, actually, specifically. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, these are known as like the canine champions of the snow. So it makes sense. And he, Sipala, picked his best dog, a 12-year-old dog named Togo, as his leader for his leg of the race. That sounds, okay, Togo sounds familiar. 
Yes. Togo should sound familiar. Togo is a big part of this story and you will see why. But I will point out, even though it's his best dog, like his best behaved dog, his most well-trained dog, um, Togo is 12. Oh, he's an old guy. Yeah. So a lot of people were like, uh, are you sure? Because it's like one of your older dogs. Right. And he had total confidence in Togo. And then there was another musher named Gunnar Kassen who decided to put his faith in also a kind of a risky bet with a three-year-old dog who was brand new to the game, still kind of like getting his sea legs, uh, more or less, named Balto. And we know Balto. And we know Balto from the movie. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Balto, by the way, is also actually um, Leonard Cipolla's dog. Oh, so okay. So they're both his dogs. They're both his dogs, but Cipolla didn't want to take Balto. Um, I don't know what the exchange was, but it's Gunnar Kassen who sees Balto and is like, I want him to lead my pack. Wow. That's Isn't that interesting? That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've got some kind of like, almost like underdogs here, um, leading two of the legs of this journey. A 12-year-old who's like very experienced, but aging. Mm-hmm. And then a three-year-old who is not as experienced, but has a lot of energy. Right. And it's kind of like the up-and-comer. The up-and-comer, yes. Um, and... We're going to get into the Great Race for Mercy right now. Ooh, nice. So a lot of the places that I'm going to mention, and I'm sure you've already heard this throughout the episode, I can't pronounce them. I'm very sorry. Uh, I mean, if they're kind of, you know, Inuit names that are a little bit arcane, like, you know, we're not going to know them. I'm not going to know them, so I'm going to try my best. It's fair. So the serum arrives in Nenana. Not sure where that is on the map. <laughs> on January 27th, and it's whisked onto the first sled and then passed from one another for multiple legs. I think each leg ranges from 24 to 52 miles. Okay. So Togo and his team, this is why Togo is so important, they actually end up running the longest and most dangerous part of the serum run. Um, Togo and Sapala end up running this was not intentional 170 miles wow yeah so the 170 out of the 600 something yes that's really far Mm-hmm. so they met the at one point in their original leg they meet the the serum you know for the handoff but the person that is next um Something had happened, like they got blown off the trail, essentially is what it sounded like. Like mm-hmm. the wind literally like blew them off course and they didn't have time to like wait around and be like, is he coming? Is he going to meet us here? So they just went for it. Whoa. Mm-hmm. And then um, on February 1st, while this is happening, by the way, I should add, all of this is being reported on this newfangled entertainment form called the radio. I've heard of that before. Yeah. Across the U.S., a lot of people are actually very invested in this story once they hear about it. The updates are being reported via radio, and everyone's just kind of like on the edge of their seat seeing, will the serum get there in one piece? Will people be saved? And then on February 1st, during this journey, the number of cases 
rose to 28 active cases. I think several people had died already. And the next person after Sapala who gets the serum on the leg is a man named Charlie Olson. I, and he also gets blown off the trail and gets frostbite on his hands because he kept taking his gloves off, I think, to put blankets on his dogs. Oh, what a homie. Yeah. To care for his dogs. <laughs> he risked his fingers. I think he loses fingers. I'm, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Damn, that's love. That's love. Yeah. Because, I mean, the dogs, I, I said they were volunteers, but. I mean, they're not. They're dogs. <laughs> they're yeah. dogs. So I, I appreciate how much he cared for them. Um, so obviously, things are more delayed. People keep getting blown off the trail. And that's because the wind chill is below. It's negative 70 degrees Fahrenheit. I can't even fathom what that's like. That is so absurdly cold. Like, literally 100 degrees warmer than that, guys, is freezing. Is that freezing? like a hundred degrees warmer than negative 70 is at freezing. So this is a literally bull. I, I, I can't, I don't even, I, words don't do it justice. I feel like, yeah, I can't fathom this. Like I don't, I think if you were outside in that cold for like 30 seconds, like unprotected, like, or more than 30 seconds unprotected, like you'd be screwed. Mm-hmm. A lot of, I don't name them all. The other mushers, um, a lot of them, suffer injuries from their frostbite on their extremities of course fingers toes but also their faces Mm. some people arrive with like um blackened chunks of their faces that they never recover any sensation to that's absolutely insane it's it's it seems like an impossible journey and again i could see why the nation was just enthralled by what was happening people were really rooting for this team um and then so charlie olson getting back to the journey he arrives at the bluff drop-off point on february 1st at 7 p.m he's not in good condition as i mentioned he already has frostbite um and gunner casson that's balto's human in this he waits uh until 10 p.m because there's a, a storm going And he's like, maybe the storm will break, maybe the storm will break, but it only gets worse. So he decides to head in anyway, right into the storm. Kassin and Balto are the ones who rocked the final leg of this journey. They navigated 54 miles of pure madness. At this point, it's still around that level of freezing that I mentioned of negative 70 degrees, but there's also a storm. And um, even despite his inexperience here, Balto really lives up to the challenge. At one point, the winds of the storm are so high that they lift the sled and the dogs into the air. And according to Gunnar Kassen, Balto kept going. He kept running and kept leading the pack. So he was kind of like Rudolph. (laughs) Kind of like Rudolph. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because it's like up in the air. (laughs) it's flying but you know like a bunch of dogs just floating in air running in place oh i know it's really cold and they're like probably terrified and stuff but it is kind of a funny funny image yes i just think what an incredible creature what a loyal 
hardworking dog that you would think he'd get terrified in that situation. But he's like, we got to keep going. We got to keep going. He's dog with job. He's dog with job. Absolutely. Um, so then, thankfully, Balto and his human and their team charge into Nome just before dawn on February 2nd. And they have the serum. And they are able Woo-hoo! to treat the diphtheria patients. It had taken 674 miles, 127 and a half hours, about five days to deliver the precious cargo. They did that in five days? It was considered a world record. Done in extreme, extreme sub-zero temperatures and blizzard conditions with hurricane force winds. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Isn't that insane? Five days. It and sounds like unrealistic. Like if you're going to write this story, it sounds like, no, this is absurd. It honestly does sound like a kid's fairy tale almost. It does. Like, oh, and then all the men and all their doggies like got the medicine to the town and everyone was saved in just five days. Like two nuts to be true. Absolutely. Like mm-hmm. just two nuts. I didn't originally put this in my notes, but since we're talking about it, I think in the 70s, I can't recall what year though, um, they did like an anniversary recreation of the race mm-hmm. um, where they wanted to do it kind of like historically accurate and things like that with the same type of gear and equipment. Hopefully not in like negative 70. Mm-mm. The weather conditions were like safe essentially for this Good. and it took them like over twice as long. Wow. So, I mean, also, like, you're hustling because it's, like, if every moment I lose, like, like a kid could potentially die. That's what I think was driving everyone. I think that's why they were able to do it in five days. Yeah, they're just, like, they're, like, screw it. Like, all the pain and discomfort, they're probably just, like, no, we got to do this. Mm -hmm. We have to move forward. Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, everyone involved in that is a hero. Everyone's a hero because they, it's really a life or death situation and they stepped up. They did. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is that is absolutely incredible. Yeah. And since this was so uh, widely publicized throughout the U.S., all participants in the dog sleds received letters of commendation from President Calvin Coolidge. Very cool. The mayor of Los Angeles. That's where we live. That's where we live. He presented a bone-shaped key to the city to Balto. No. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. In front of City Hall. And silent film actress, who was very famous at the time, Mary Pickford, put a wreath around Balto's neck when he received his key. That's amazing. Do you know what's really weird? Hmm. Is the dog that I'm doing a story on is a contemporary of Balto. Well, listen to the next point in my notes, because I do know who you're doing a story on. Okay. It said, this was one of my sources literally said this, Balto became the most famous canine celebrity of the era after... Rin Tin Tin. There you go, guys. Spoilers. Spoilers. (laughs) That's coming up. So the publicity of the Great Race of Mercy also helped spur an inoculation campaign in the U.S. Um, So rates of inoculation for like all diseases went up, 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 up. And it reduced actually a lot, the spread of a lot of diseases in the U.S. that year. Unsurprising. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Yeah, it is. A nice side effect. So I do want to pause here and give some acknowledgement that Balto may have received most of the credit. He's the most famous dog. 
Um, that's because afterwards they ended up tour. Balto ended up, he, he went on tour. Okay. I, I love this. <laughs> I love it when like animals go on tour. He went on tour all over the U.S. And, As he should. you know, signed autographs or whatever he did. And a lot of the uh, mushers gave kind of like inspirational talks at these events. So he, so Balto became the most famous one. But I do want to say that all of the dogs and their mushers, as you mentioned, were true heroes. Um, Funny enough, Balto's owner, one of the mushers, Sapala, considered Togo the best dog he ever had. And he wrote a memoir. And in his memoir, um, he, he shared that he resented Balto because he thought that Togo deserved more recognition for his efforts oh my god i don't think that the dogs cared if i'm being honest i don't think that togo noticed i don't as long as he got treats and scratches i think he's stoked yes i agree but i think they made a movie about togo actually it sounds familiar they did they did okay Mm -hmm. i'll get to that in a second um but they did and it's good you should watch it but I did want to give Togo and all the other unnamed dogs their acknowledgement as well. <laughs> and then also I want to acknowledge the fact that the media at the time largely ignored uh, the Alaskan native mushers and their teams. They were never asked to go to speaking engagements. They were not featured in the press. Um, but Alaskan natives covered two-thirds of this trip disappointed but not surprised exactly so we just want to acknowledge that it really did take so many people and dogs to make this happen and today thousands of children each year visit balto in new york city central park where there's a bronze statue in his honor or they go to the cleveland museum of natural history where there is a special special balto exhibit oh yay additionally each march now Sled dog teams come from all over the world to participate in a race that follows the serum run route. And I wanted to discuss that the saga of Balto isn't just like about one dog being a hero, but it's a testament to what collective courage can do, especially in the pursuit of a good cause. Mm, I love that. That's amazing. Thanks, babe. And my sources are a PBS article. Dogcast TV, National Geographic, Wikipedia, and I wanted to shout out Balto, the animated classic film, as well as the film Togo that you mentioned. It stars Willem Dafoe. Oh my God, yes. He plays Apollo, and it's on Disney+. Plus. I think we have watched that. It sounds vaguely familiar. Yes, I think sure so. we've watched that. I don't know if we... Knowing us. I don't know if we watched it. I think my dad was watching it. Oh, and then we were like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. I've definitely seen it on, on Disney Plus before, so yeah, it so makes sense. That is the story of Balto, of Togo, and the dog sled teams of oh. the Great Race of Mercy. Well, great. Thank you so much for sharing. I love that. And I didn't know a lot of that backstory, especially with so many dogs and people involved. That was pretty special and like spectacular, honestly. Yeah, I vaguely knew the outline of the story of like this dog helped kids get medicine basically but i didn't understand how severe and life-threatening the circumstances were oh yeah no no idea yeah that's actually like insane 
We love our heroic historical doggos. Absolutely, we do. <laughs> okay, well, weirdos, just hang on a second, and we have my episode or my part of the episode coming up next. All right, babe, tell us about your d- historical dog figure for this episode. Okay, so for mine, before I even get into him, mm-hmm. I mean, you guys know it's Rin Tin Tin. Yeah, but, I already spilled the beans on that one. Yeah, you did. So there is a story that is almost 100 years old now. Mm-hmm. For the very first Academy Awards or Oscars, mm. that the actor who received the most votes for like best actor and presumably should have won, right, but did not, was not actually human. What? Yes. The very first award winner for best actor should have gone to a German Shepherd dog by the name of Rin Tin Tin. That's so cute, but he didn't end up winning? But he didn't end up winning. So interestingly, the award would go to a German human by the name of Emil Jannings, and since this time, no other German has ever won the award. He cursed it. He cursed it. For them, because it should have gone to a German yeah. Shepherd. Well, before we get, <laughs> before you say that, though, I'm not entirely sure of the historical accuracy. It could have been anachronistic, like, after the fact. But I, it was so, it's such an awesome story. It's been repeated so often that I feel like I had to share it, the very least. Yeah. So take it with a grain of salt, weirdos. Fair but enough. But at the same time, I do... I love the story, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether it's true or not. I think it's awesome. Maybe he did get like write-in votes and everyone like kind of almost as like a friendly joke of like, oh, it should be the dog. Yeah, because also at this point in time, it's the very first Academy Awards. It's not a big no deal. one really understands what this means. No one does. Do, I don't think anyone really takes it too seriously. It mm-hmm. wasn't broadcast on television or on radio. Mm-hmm. It only lasted fifteen minutes. Yeah, it was it's very possible. Right, but screw the Academy Awards. <laughs> This story is about the German Shepherd dog, Rin Tin Tin. Yay! What what love. I can't wait to hear. So, in September of 1918, a combined French and American force is on the offensive against enemy German positions. Mm -hmm. It is World War I, and we are in the final stages of the conflict. In fact, it's going to end in about two months. Okay. But they don't know that. Until then, the fighting would be really intense. Yeah. So there's this battle called the Battle of Saint or Saint Mihail, mm-hmm. and it would actually be really important in establishing like to the older British and French powers that the American army is something to be respected and and ultimately feared, mm-hmm. um, because they had some serious firepower behind them. Yeah, and as an American, I can confirm war is pretty much the only thing that we take seriously in this country. Oh boy. <laughs> It's, it's true. Like, sad. Sad. Don't, I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm just saying this is a thing. Oh, yeah. This is something that, for lots of reasons, I'm sure, the U.S. excels at. The U.S. is really good at this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, this battle is really known uh, for this right like is really establishing the americans as okay this they're not someone to mess with Mm -hmm. right the u.s army is is big deal even though they're a young country they know what they're doing exactly Mm -hmm. but it's also known because during the immediate aftermath a female german shepherd would be rescued in the nearby town of flea with her five nursing puppies oh my god 
Yes. Corporal Lee Duncan, he was an armorer for the U.S. Army Air Service, stumbled upon the ruins of a kennel that was used to breed German shepherds for the Imperial German Army. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Stop. So there were only five dogs that he found that were left, that were still alive. Ugh, and my emotions right now. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm sorry, there was six total. The German Shepherd Mommy mm-hmm. and her five pups. And her babies. And her babies. Sorry, guys, I'm trying not to do my, my the voice that I do when I talk to puppies. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really sad because the mother was like starving, was barely oh, holding God. on. And the puppies were only like a week old, perhaps even less. Like, I they wonder were if they even had their eyes new. open. No, they didn't. They had their eyes were, they were They were closed. Luckily, though, our boy Duncan, he grew up with dogs. So he takes all all six dogs back to the camp at the 135th Arrow Squadron. He makes sure they're well-nourished, and once the puppies have been weaned off their mother, he adopts two of the puppies, a boy oh, and a girl. Oh, that's so cute. The girl he names <laughs> Nanette, Ooh. and the boy he names Rintintin. Wow, that's an interesting name. <laughs> yes. Well, funny enough, the names come from good luck charms that French children would give to American troops um oh my god and it comes from like a folklore story i don't know much about it so don't yeah. ask but funny enough i want I, all the details of the folklore story. oh yeah no but plus <laughs> he didn't i don't think he spoke french and so he found out like later that actually it's it's flipped like the the boy is supposed to be nanette and the girl's rentington right. yeah that sounds right to english speakers germanic speakers i imagine in general a lot of male french names sound very feminine to us exactly yeah so Oops. But anyways, <laughs> uh, now Duncan coming back home, he had to sneak the dogs onto the That's boat, so right? Cute. And we all know from our previous episode on Wojtek, mm-hmm. the bear, the bear that was in the Polish army, yeah. that you had either had to be a creative to get animals onto these ships, mm-hmm. or b you had to sneak them on. Yeah. And so. If you are interested, by the way, in re-listening to that episode, it is episode 86. So check that out after this episode. It's a really cool one. I know. For more historical animals. I love historical animals. (laughs) Yes. Anyways, Duncan, he finally makes it back to New York City. New York City. Mm -hmm. (laughs) With the puppies. But he unfortunately has to leave Nanette with his friend in Long Island, who is a breeder. Okay. Uh, She wasn't doing too well. Nanette? Yeah. Why? She had pneumonia. Stop. Is she okay? She dies. Ah, <laughs> what is happening? I know. <laughs> oh. I know. I, I can't. I can't even think about it. <laughs> like, you... I'm laughing because, like, I can't yeah. think about it too much or else it'll make or me we'll really cry. sad. Yeah. If you can't tell, weirdos, we're dog people. Yeah. We, <laughs> we really also love are. cats. That's we true. We love both. And I love bears. And bears and birds. I love all animals. I'm, We're I'm psychotic. Animal people. And <laughs> you should tell them about your first dog. Oh, my first dog was also a German Shepherd dog. With named, also a French name. With a French name, Brigitte. My parents thought it was hilarious and no one got it. Mm-hmm, that it was like a big, like, It's a big tough German dog. Shepherd. She was like 100 pounds, giant German Shepherd. She had a heart of gold, though. And... Uh, but like they thought it was like sound like a french poodle name uh-huh it does it does yeah. sound like a poodle name but yeah brigitte i love that dog i love that dog but anyways um going back to the story net nanette 
She unfortunately passes, but the breeder gives Duncan a replacement female pup, which becomes Nanette the Second, named in honor of the original Nanette. Oh my gosh, I have so many feelings. I have a lot of feelings too. We're just going to move on though. Okay. They take the train and he finally makes it all the way across the country by rail Mm -hmm. to his home in Los Angeles, California. Hey! I know. So, Rintintin, he was the goodest of boys. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's very academic language you just used I'm, and it, it threw me for a second <laughs> yes you're welcome so he was really easy to train that's why he's so good mm-hmm. he loved going into the outdoors with duncan and duncan's buddy an actor by the name of eugene pallet mm. and it was here that duncan trained rintintin to essentially be just a super well-trained dog that could do lots of tricks it's a great including idea including doing jumps oh how cute yeah, German Shepherds are incredibly intelligent and very easy to train. They love having jobs. They love. They are also dogs with jobs. Yeah, just like the other goodest boys, Balto and Togo. Oh, I love them. All the doggies, we love them. I love them so much. <laughs> <clears throat> so, but we unfortunately come to something where a little sad thing happens. Okay, I can handle it. You can. Yeah, it's not as bad as previous, so you should be good. Okay. So Rintintin was on a walk with Duncan. Uh, where a delivery truck was passing by and the man in the passenger seat of the truck was throwing out like heavy bundles of newspaper. Mm-hmm. And one of these hit the poor dog in his leg and he broke his leg. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. That like, must have been some heavy newspaper. I literally put in my notes, WTF mate. Like how do you, how do you, how, how do you not see the dog? I don't know. It's and a it's German not, shepherd too. It's not like a chihuahua. Exactly. I think he was still a, no, even then, like, even if he was, like, a puppy at this point still, like, he would have been be a bigger big, puppy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Duncan had to set Rintintin's leg in plaster for nine months. Oh, poor baby. And he just tended to him during that time. Mm-hmm. So now another month passes, and it's been ten months after the break. Okay. And Duncan enrolled Rintintin into a dog show for German Shepherds. Oh, my gosh. He loves this dog. <laughs> he loves this dog. Yeah. And he learned in a very short time, um, Rintintin, that is, to make like, really big leaps. <laughs> Not Duncan? Not Duncan, no. <laughs> Maybe he can leap to conclusions, but no. This is this dog can actually, he has hops. He's athletic. He's yeah. athletic. Yeah, he's a good boy. <laughs> so in, in this case, like, he could make big leaps and also, like, scale up walls. Oh, my gosh. So he won a competition scaling up walls. And guess how high the wall was? I don't know. Like, three feet? 11 feet, nine inches. Oh, my God. What? I think it's the thing where they kind of, like, have a little running start and they jump up the wall. And they, like, it looks like they're running up the wall. I've seen videos, like, TikToks, reels, whatever, of, like, um, police dogs in training doing that. But not that high. Then this is like a hundred years ago too. Yeah, that's wild. So, and during like his literal like award-winning jump, mm-hmm. a videographer was there by the name of Charlie Jones, and he filmed this endeavor using like a special slow-motion camera that he had developed. Oh wow, that would have been really cool for the time. Yeah, and he so he filmed this the 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 dog doing like his amazing jump. He mm-hmm. showed it to Duncan. And from here on out, like Duncan had in his mind, Rin Tin Tin is destined for <laughs> destined for glory. No, destined for stardom. 
I was immediately thinking of like Alexander the Great. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that turning in your head. Yeah. Plus, I just love that he watched this video of his dog and he's like, that dog's a star. Like, yeah, literally. Yeah. That's so cute. I love the idea of a slow-mo dog video. I know, right? That's so cute. And so this Duncan, he gets this idea right mm-hmm. in his head and he's like, hmm, why not get Rin Tin Tin into moving pictures the moving pictures, you see. The talkies. The, no, not the talkies. Not the the talkies. silence. The silence? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After all, it wasn't unprecedented. Mm-hmm. There was a German shepherd, ironically enough, named Strongheart that was so mm-hmm. successful in these silent films mm-hmm. that he had his own bungalow in the Hollywood Hills separate from his owner's house. Damn, I, I love dogs, but I'm not going to lie. I dislike hearing about dogs that live better than I do. <laughs> Literally, yeah. It's it, more, you know, for me, I want me and the dogs to be living good. Exactly. I but feel me like too. That's not too much to ask for. I would also like a bungalow. I would love a bungalow. I'll, I'll love take a teeny it. bungalow. I'll take it. In the Hollywood Hills? Yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it too. <laughs> I mean, after all, in 1921, Strongharp's film... Uh, the Silent Call was so successful that it literally was breaking attendance records all throughout movie theaters in Los Angeles. Wow. It was so popular that theaters played it for eight shows a day for 13 straight weeks. Oh my goodness. That is insane. People loved that movie. People loved it. So Duncan immediately would start walking like Rintintin down Gower Street in Hollywood, which still exists, funny yeah, enough. Yeah, we lived right by there. Yeah, where a bunch of smaller size studios at the time were located. That's around where Paramount is today. Yes, it is actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this was a common tactic at the time, just walking like door to door, trying to sell services as like an actor or a writer. Mm-hmm. Like you could just do that back in the day and people would be like, oh yeah, sure. Why don't you just be on in my film? Yeah. Man, I would have crushed it back then. <laughs> it was the Wild West. It was the beginning and just a crazy exciting time, I'm sure, for creatives. Absolutely. Pe- people would drop off their scripts and yeah. you know, I mean, be like, yeah, we'll make this movie. You know, we'll get to that in a second, actually. Mm. So, in fact, Duncan and Rin Tin, Tin made n- enough of an impression that very shortly afterwards, Rin Tin, Tin was actually cast in a bit part where he played a wolf. Oh, my gosh. A woofer. That's so cute. I know. They had to smudge his face a bunch because, like, he's a German shepherd. Mm -hmm. And it's very obvious that he's a German shepherd. So they had to do some, like, he literally had to put on makeup, doggy makeup. Doggy makeup. To be, like, to look like a wolf. That's so cute. And interestingly, guys, uh, German shepherd dogs are recognized as wolf dog hybrids. Mm -hmm. They're, like, the first, right? The very first, yeah. Mm -hmm. So... This was a good role for Rintintin, but he was destined for greatness after all, not for these bit parts. <laughs> Duncan actually wrote a script that starred Rintintin and submitted to Warner Brothers. Oh. And the craziest thing is that they actually accepted it. Yeah. They were just taking anything, though. Were, yeah. I don't think Warner Brothers was actually even a big name at this point. Now yeah. we know him as like one of the bigs, but they weren't. And remember, this was like literally 100 years ago, guys. So this type of instance was very common and you could just do that mm-hmm. yeah i think especially th- he had like a special shtick right the angle is the dog exactly so that's cool and, and like the, a well-trained dog yeah and the other dog movie did so well that i'm sure they were like yeah let's do it 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get into that in a second. So, 1923, Warner Brothers signed Rintintin to be amongst their, like, stable of stars. <laughs> because, like, back then, like, studios would actually pay actors, like, a salary. Mm-hmm. And you would, like, you were, you were owned by that studio. It was w- weird back then. We've talked about it in um, some have. other episodes where we've covered old Hollywood. It, it was not healthy. No, and like For these humans. studios had a lot of power because uh, they they had they were vertically integrated. If, you're, yeah. if you guys are business students, you'll know what I mean. But basically, they owned a lot of like the supply or the value chain. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can't go in my consulting thing right now. <laughs> um, I sound way too much like a consultant, and I was like, Ugh. basically, studios had way too much power, and yes. they owned their stars, including Rintintin, including Rintintin. But get this. Mm. He earned, Rintintin earned $1,000 a week and he was insured for $10,000. Oh this my is gosh. in 1923 money. So in today, uh, that $1,000 a week is over $18,000 a week using CPI inflation, probably over 20000 if you're using more modern like versions of inflation. Not going to nerd out on that. And then 180000 for the insurance. Oh my God. That's a lot of money. That dog was rolling in the dough. Yes. So Renton Tin's first starring starring role, excuse me, was in Where the North Begins, came out in 1923, in which he played alongside silent screen actress Claire Adams. Mm. I'm actually not fam- too familiar with her. But he as in Rintintin, played a dog that was adopted into a wolf pack in northern Canada. That's so cute. And he's a hero in helping expose a corrupt trading post manager. Like, this is incredible. So Rintintin played a dog? He played a dog. He did not play a human. (laughs) Wow. I'm sure that was really hard for him. I know there was a movie in 1975, I think it's called, like, A Boy and His Dog, where there is a dog, and... He has like the mind of a human and he can tell, he can like communicate with people, his master mainly like telepathically. That would freak me out. <laughs> I, I would. The seventies were weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like that actually makes sense for the seventies. Yeah. Oh, and also it, it takes place in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Of course it does. Yeah. That's a weird movie guys. If you want to watch that. <laughs> so, but anyways, um, if you want to actually wear, also watch like Where the North Begins, it's in the public domain, so you can just watch it for free. Cool. Just like online. We should watch it. Yeah, I kind of want to. The film was such a box office success that it is partially credited, maybe even mainly credited, with saving Warner Brothers from bankruptcy. So oh the reason why gosh. Warner Brothers exists today is in part, like, largely due to Rent and Tin. Oh my goodness. Yeah. They really lucked out with, like, taking that script and being like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, That's exactly. Insane. It is. It's wild. Also, Warner brothers was so invested in Rintintin's success that they put a screenwriter by the name of Daryl F. Zanuck in charge of churning out scripts for the good boy. <laughs> Zanuck, interestingly enough, would eventually become a top exec at 20th century Fox. Oh. And these dog flicks essentially like kickstarted his career. Yeah. How interesting. What do you do, sir? I write movies for dogs. In fact, <laughs> there is a rumor that the, that like that in the first Academy Awards, mm-hmm. how like Rintintin was supposed to win best actor. That rumor is apparently there. The rumor of the rumor is that he started that rumor. <laughs> it's a rumor within a rumor. I heard you guys like rumors. <laughs> 
I could see that. Yeah. I could see him being like, well, actually, I heard Rin Tin Tin was supposed to win. <laughs> yeah. Because he's just... the one writing his movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that actually makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Rin Tin Tin would go on to make a total of 26 films with Warner Brothers. Oh, my gosh. Dog with job indeed. I know. During this time, his activities were like severely restricted because he had a strict contract with Warner Brothers. Okay. A dog, guys. A dog. They didn't want him like partying on the weekends, things no, like that. Okay. Like he couldn't do drugs, you know, stuff like that. Morality clause, Morality. couldn't have affairs. Exactly. Got it. I'm pretty sure he had affairs though. Oh shit. So he <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. Okay, he lived in a kennel and could only exercise on this like hamster wheel like contraption, which is so dumb. Don't even get me started. Yeah. I don't know how that is just quintessential like like corporate stupidity. Yeah, because I feel like that's way more risky for developing an injury than just exercising around your neighborhood yeah right or just like in a like in the backyard mm-hmm. so oh my god i know studios and insurance companies really could dictate a lot mm-hmm. and so with all his film work and like reshooting uh he was just working all the time mm. and apparently Rinton tin would start to get testy sometimes during filmings of course and he even apparently bit like a, or like nipped a co-star or two yeah they deserved it though i think so too yeah i mean they were being annoying they're probably annoying him yeah so that's because we all need work-life balance exactly. you can't just work all the time even if you love work yeah even if you're dog with job even if you're dog with job you need time for scratchies and nappies Exactly. So, and even when he wasn't filming, he would go on to make like celebrity appearances. Oh my God. Because he was just such a busy boy. And I hope, in, I hope he didn't get burned out. I don't, I hope not either. <laughs> he didn't live like kind of long for a German Shepherd, and we'll get into that. But in one instance, he and Duncan traveled all the way to Portland, Oregon to lay a wreath at the grave of Silverton Bobby. Who's that? So he was the dog who traveled over 2,500 miles to find his way back home. Oh, wow. Yeah. That dog from like the 20s. Yes, yes. That's so interesting. They went to go lay a wreath, pay their respects. That makes sense. Exactly. And even Duncan like put a paw print of Rinton Tins like and wrote like a little note like. <laughs> from Rinton Tins. I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. That's so cute. So by the end of the 1920s, the talkies the talkies the talkies were becoming the all the rage in hollywood mm-hmm. right and as a result people were really interested in hearing what other like what actors had to actually say on film and they weren't really interested in dog movies too much anymore they sadly. didn't want to hear what the dogs had to say no because it was just rough <laughs> it was rough it was yeah. rough you're right so Rinton tin was released by Warner Brothers in 1930 after he made his last film with them called Rough Water, which sadly has been lost to time. You can't even watch it. It's just gone. Yeah, that happened a lot. I hate that. Like, how do they, how did they mess up that badly that like you just don't even have it in your archives? Because everything was like physical copies and just, I don't think they understood. I don't think they, it was such a new industry. I don't think they had the, forethought of like generations to come will want to see this to study like the history you know what i mean yeah i mean i think they were careless with their films it it had to have been yeah these the studios they were just not well run like i look at i hear the stuff and i'm Mm -hmm. like 
I just feel like there were people that like were drawn like on the business side were like drawn to this just because it's like glitzy and glamour and you can make a lot of money but they weren't like artists they didn't no. care about the craft a lot of the time that's why they and their input was just generally stupid yeah i agree i think they were exploitive and dumb not to be like condescending or critical <laughs> at all no it's true i mean they did really really messed up things and there was a lot of corruption and a lot of really bad behavior so you're yeah. you're right i mean also as someone who used to work in corporate america i <laughs> have a incredible disdain for corporate america as probably <laughs> most of you, all of you listening that's i don't think a very unpopular opinion no i don't think so <laughs> yes so he would go on <laughs> rintintin that is okay to film one last film called mm. the lightning warrior in 1931 oh that's so cute. I know. I love that name. Mm -hmm. So interestingly, most of this movie was filmed at the Iverson Film Ranch. Oh. And in case you didn't know, my last name is Iverson. Is this your film ranch? Have you been hiding it from me? Why? I wish. <laughs> I would be so much more wealthy than I am right now, which isn't at all. <laughs> Self-owned. Okay. <laughs> so remember all the way back at the beginning of this episode, mm -hmm. I mentioned... Um, like Nanette. Yeah. And Nanette too. And Nanette yeah. too. Yeah. So, well, Rinton, Tin, and Nanette got busy and they ended up having at least 48 puppies together. Do you mean Nanette too? Nanette too. Yeah. Because yeah. Nanette passed away. Sorry. Yes. Thank you for clearing. And Nanette, Nanette too. was his sister. Yes. You, you really spread some bad <laughs> stuff for a second. <laughs> to be fair, Duncan called Nanette to Nanette. Like. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure after. he didn't just call her Nanette too all Nanette the time. Too, Nanette too. So, so they had how many? At least 48 puppies. Oh my goodness. They did get busy. So Duncan either sold or gave most of them away. And it's crazy because like iconic actresses like Greta Garbo and mm. Jean Harlow, they each owned one. Wow. Those were huge names at the time. Huge names. I think Jean Harlow was actually like, his, it wasn't his next door neighbor, but like they lived on the same street or something. Wow. Or a street away, something like that. Uh-huh. So... Sadly, though, you know, we are talking about a dog, so we are getting towards the end of his life. Mm -hmm. He died on August 10th, 1932 at Duncan's home in Los Angeles, mm. presumably right around 14 years of age or just under. That's just, a good, good life for a big dog. Especially like, I'm assuming like a pure breed German Shepherd dog. Yeah, if he was found at a breeder, it's probably a purebred. Mm -hmm. Brigitte died when she was, I think, 10. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's more typical for big dogs, right? About yeah. 10, 11. I don't know. Makes me sad, actually. I know. So regular programming was literally interrupted to bring the news of his death throughout the United States. Oh, my God. I'm not joking. Oh. Like people were watching or listening to something and then. They were like, breaking news. Breaking news here. Probably listening. Yeah. It's, it's 1932. Well, no, definitely listening. Yeah, listening to the radio. Mm -hmm. So. His body was actually flown back to France to be buried in his homeland at sorry the and you're I'm gonna butcher this this is in French the the cimetière des champs et autres animaux domestiques uh, a pet cemetery yeah pet cemetery mm -hmm. yeah I'm like that is a lot of words just to say a pet cemetery <laughs> like the blah 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 pet cemetery yeah oh English is definitely a Germanic language yeah straight to the point. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I can't believe they flew him back. 
to be buried in his home country as if he would know or care or have... He was a puppy yeah, when like... he left. Like, I mean, a little puppy. He was months old. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not like Rintintin was on his deathbed being like, bury me in France, you know, like... <laughs> This is so extra. It's so extra. So he would be remembered fondly. Mm -hmm. And in 1960, he even received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, 1627 Vine Street, if you're interested in going. That's so sweet. But don't go to Hollywood, guys. We (laughs) used to live there. Uh, It's not pretty. Um, You could skip it if you're visiting. It's you're not missing much. Or if you go, I would like go to watch a movie like in the Chinese theater. Yeah, that actually is kind of cool. And then you can see a lot of the old um, famous like handprints and some of the stars. And then you just get out of there. Get out of there as soon as you can. <laughs> yeah, it's and there's other types of sightseeing now, but a little bit more on the dangerous side. Yeah. So his legacy would continue on mm-hmm. one of his many sons Rin Tin Tin Jr not even I'm not making this up this is true he would go on to star in films and even Rin Tin Tin's grandson Rin Tin Tin the third would do so as well wow um though sadly they were not as successful as the OG Rin Tin Tin right right those are some nepo babies though they were nepo babies <laughs> But you know what? I'm going to give the dog nipple babies a pass because they're good boys. Yeah. So (laughs) Duncan himself would pass away in September of 1960, Hmm. though thankfully he did see Rintintin's star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oh, good. But he never trademarked the name Rintintin, interestingly enough. That is interesting. Luckily, though, the line of Rintintin actually continues to this day. Oh, really? The current Rintintin is the 12th generation dog. <gasps> oh my goodness. And get this, this 12th generation Rintintin, he accepted, so he'd be like Rintintin the 12th, I guess. Uh-huh. He accepted the American Humane Association Legacy Award in 2011 on the original Rintintin's behalf. That's so sweet. The dog has no idea what's going on. No idea what's going I'm on. I'm so glad that happened. So... Thankfully, Rin Tin Tin's legacy is alive and well, which makes me so happy. That's so funny. Um, they they did find out, I think it was in Nat Geo, that uh, Balto's line is also still alive and well. Let's go. <laughs> and they're still um, sled dogs. Oh, my God. I am, that, I can't, <laughs> guys, no joke. That makes me so happy. Yes. Like, I am irrationally happy about that. That these dogs are carrying on the family business. It, it really warms my heart. I'm not even like, exact, uh, I'm not BSing you guys. That actually makes me very genuinely happy. He's he's being legit. He's being legit. Yeah, I am being it sincere. It is sweet to think that, I don't know, just that people have cared for the descendants of these dogs so much so that 100 years later, their line is still here. I know. Isn't that wild? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So this, guys, is the story of how a puppy saved in the waning days of World Ooh. War One ended up becoming a Hollywood and an American icon. I love that so much. Yes. That's the American dream right there. It really is. Like <laughs> this is the American dream. I mean, 
I'm not going to go into it. Never mind. <laughs> Sources for this episode. We have NPR. Mm-hmm. There was America Comes Alive. It was a great kind of like article on Renton 10. Mm-hmm. Gave a lot of backstory. And then, of course, Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that so much. This was a very fun special episode to do. I think so, too. I really enjoyed talking about animals and history. So it's like kind of two passions of mine, like merge into one. Yeah, it was really like heartwarming. My research was fun. I'm sure your research was fun, too. Yeah. Like usually, I mean, I'm piecing together and like stories like of different different sources, Mm -hmm. really trying to like understand like a a full, well-balanced, nuanced narrative. And this I'm like, I get to talk about a dog. Get to talk about dogs. Heck yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Weirdos, if you are listening to this episode on Spotify, comment with any other historical animals you'd like us to cover. Right, exactly. Because we've covered Wojtek, and you also covered Unsinkable Sam, mm-hmm. right? And now Balto, Togo, and Rintintin. Yeah, exactly. So If, if there are any others, let us know. I know. I'd be really interested in hearing about that. Mm-hmm. Also, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but I need to say it. If... Once you guys have, are done listening to this episode, which is like right now, basically, <laughs> go to our Patreon and do the poll. Oh, yeah. Let us know what type of content you want more of. Yep. We and are here to please and entertain and educate and all the things. Exactly. And please, if, if you do like the show, please consider signing up for our Patreon. You will be able to see uh, not only like the ad-free episodes and the video episodes, but there will be content on there that we will not have anywhere else. Yeah, and it helps support the podcast, so thank you to anyone who does sign up. Exactly. Well, guys, that's it for this week. Until next time. Until next time, weirdos. Adios. Adios.